The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my friend Sandra Bernstein. How are you doing, Sandra? Hey, Brian. Got a couple uh, guests today. Kathleen Hill is sitting in, and uh, I'll let you go ahead and introduce our super special guest today. My good friend John McReynolds, star of Edge, Stone Edge, two cookbooks, IACP awards, all sorts of wonderful things with a wonderful, exciting travel past. Oh, yes. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Is that the way? And a hope, hopefully a travel future as well. Ooh. Uh, more and more. Yes. So you started traveling, right? I mean, how did you get into all of this, John? Well, I started traveling in my 20s and uh, mostly Latin America. And then I started going to the Mediterranean, the um, uh, a little bit of North Africa, uh, all over the Med. And I settled in Greece for three or four months on the island of Crete and then went around to the other islands. I just, um, that was what opened me up to food was travel to be on a Greek island and those flavors, the... Uh, Did you know people? No, I you didn't know You were totally anybody. on your own. This is back in you know, the how 70s. How old were you? I was around. in my 20s. So oh, my God. In, uh, travel in the 70s was a lot cheaper than it was now. Really? It is now, yes. Uh, I lived on, for that trip, six-month trip, I averaged $8 a day. Nice. And that was accommodations there was a couple of there was one cruise I took of course I slept in a sleeping bag on the deck but yeah, it was uh, started in it. Athens and uh, went to uh, uh, to Israel Haifa Israel was it and a then barge back. no it was a real cruise ship oh and except they let the backpackers sleep on the deck huh. and uh, perfect you could eat in the restaurant but you had to pay and uh so Very fun. <laughs> so those were the kind of the golden days of kind of hippie travel. And there were all those books telling us how to do it on $5 a day. Right. I didn't so eight was a lot. Right. It was a lot. But I ate, <laughs> I ate well. Oh. And this is before you ever cooked. Right. I mean, I cooked at, at home, right. of course. And I grew up cooking, as did my, my siblings and I. But really... No, I never thought about being a professional chef. That just wasn't uh, what I was thinking. My first career was uh, working in a psychiatric uh, clinic. Uh, it's kind of the same difference. Exactly. Chef and it's a lot psychiatric. It's a lot of psychos. <laughs> or at least if you don't start that way, you end that way. <laughs> but I worked uh, with specifically with alcoholics and drug addicts. So... But I knew that that wasn't going to be my long-term career. I was going to school. I wanted to be a psychiatric social worker. But at the age 25, I just burned out. And that's when I started traveling. Worked for a year in Lake Tahoe as a waiter in a restaurant on the Nevada side. Where, where are you from? From born and raised in Campbell, California. Okay. The Orchard City. Okay. Of course, there's no orchards Former, left. It, yeah. yeah. So you were a farm boy. Yes, and and at that time in the in the 50s, believe it or not, um, 
the school children were allowed off school to pick the the uh, the prunes uh, the prunes and the apricots. We were allowed to leave school. It'd be a school holiday, and we'd make twenty five cents a lug for picking. Wow. Well, and you ate a few. We ate a lot. Yeah, we were very regular in those days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and were your were your parents in in orchard business? No, my dad had a construction company, a road construction. So okay. this is uh, goes back three generations. His great grandfather was a bridge builder, and uh, his grandfather, and then his father, and then him. Wow. So you didn't bridge want to builders. Do that. I did it actually um, for um, about three years. After I traveled, I would come back and go to work for my dad in the summertime and then go off again in the wintertime and travel. So mm. I loved doing construction work, especially heavy construction, road construction. We worked all over California. We'd live in uh, motels. We did uh, pretty much every army post and naval station in california we had we'd get big government contracts and this is very cool mm -hmm. so i love that uh that sort of uber macho construction and in construction work road road construction is just above roofers in terms of the pecking order so <laughs> okay. we're kind of known for being gnarly and uh, did you get to um like operate those big machines yeah, and those big trucks i and, did i drove wow. big trucks big tractor trailers and it's i it's like got boys and their toys oh yeah yeah uh, i loved it but again i knew that's that wasn't my my metier Your calling i wanted something different i didn't know what it was but i knew it wasn't that and i thought it was going to be something in the travel business so again more travel and then um, i was single at the time and i was uh, going out to dinner with uh, a, a young lady at sausalito at one of those old-fashioned kind of restaurants a fish restaurants i forget the name like of a it. scoma and yeah something <laughs> something with an anchor in the name or something right. and, and she I didn't know her hardly, and we were talking. I just, did you meet her on Tinder? There was no Tinder. No. <laughs> <laughs> I met her like you do in the old-fashioned days at a wedding. That was always yeah. a great place to meet people at a wedding. And uh, that was our one and only date. But she, as I was talking about food and travel, she goes, you ever thought about becoming a chef? And a light bulb went on. And I said, thank you been waiting for somebody to tell me what to do wow and if we're lucky in life we get somebody could be a stranger could be a loved one that points us in a direction that we never thought about going and that was it two uh, two weeks later went to the california culinary academy to apply and then two or three months after that i started and this was in the 80s or this was in, in 1980 so I just turned 30 years old in 1980, and I said, Buster, you better figure out what you're <laughs> going to do. You've, you know, you've fooled around enough time to get serious with a career. And did, did you love it, like, right away? I loved it. It was, I knew it. I loved it. 
It's interesting that you went from huge machines moving big stuff to the finite work you learned at the Culinary Academy and you do now. It is, yes. I still love the big machines. You have models of them? <laughs> I have pictures. <laughs> are, there, are they some up on the farm that you can <clears throat> ride a tractor? Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of equipment, like a backhoe. They let me on the backhoe. And, nice. Uh, my brother still has one of the, the tractors uh, from the construction company on his property in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So I like to, when I go visit him, I like to get on. You get to go play? Just go dig well, holes. So what was your first job? In the world? Well, no, your first cooking job. Uh, that was when I was um, 15 and a half years old at By the Bucket Pizza in Campbell. Okay, <laughs> I mean after culinary oh, school. Okay. Silly. <laughs> that was at the Elaine Guest Ranch in Estes Park, Colorado. It's a dude ranch, guest ranch. And uh, I wanted to get out of the city. I had no... I was living in San Francisco in an apartment, finished culinary school. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to go somewhere different. And I figured Colorado would be nice and went there for the, the season, the summer season, which went from May until uh, uh, September. The chef was Swiss. He was actually my first chef, and it's, I think, it's good for a young chef to have a Swiss chef as your first chef because Swiss Swiss chefs really they set the bar five times fast. Swiss, they set the bar and they're tough and they're they expect a lot. Back in those days, if the chef didn't like what you're doing, he might come up behind you and kind of whack you on the back of the head and say, "What are you doing, you idiot? I told you to do it the other way." Obviously, that doesn't happen anymore, but back mm -hmm. then... Yeah, it was. that's the way it was. There was no kind words from the chef. It was... Yeah. Just negatives. Yes. And if you were doing it right, you wouldn't they say anything. They took credit. <laughs> right, they <you> took credit. <laughs> so that it was a wonderful time. I, lo I loved living in the, the Rocky Mountains. We were at over 8,000 feet elevation. and You um, could ski on your days off. Ski? No, this was summertime. So. Oh, in the summers. Right. So I started riding horses, started running, and uh, turns out this area is a kind of an ad hoc training area for Olympic athletes. So I had my roommate in my uh, little cabin was uh, a runner from, uh, from New Zealand. Uh, his name was Roy. 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 <laughs> Sounds and spelled R A Y or R O Y. R A Y. Roy. So we started. Uh, so I started running and got really serious about it, and uh, and uh, it was a fun time. Well, and how how many summers were you there? Just one summer. Just one summer. Then then where next? Well, step? and then I hooked up with one of my favorite chefs at the Culinary Academy was named uh, Tony Cherney, and um, Tony was take, leaving the Culinary Academy and taking a job at a restaurant in Carmel called Giuliano's, Northern Italian, real shishi. He asked me if I'd like to be the sous chef, so. 
I said, great. So I moved right from Colorado to Carmel. Ended up living over the restaurant uh, and uh, worked for a couple of months uh, under Tony. Tony left. They made me the head chef. I was not qualified to be the head <laughs> chef. But I said, great. So I learned at a pretty young age that uh, I have the ability to to act like I know more than I really know. So <laughs> That's a skill. It is a skill. and um, But I learned how to do a few things really well since we made our own pasta there. So this is 1982. We're making our own pasta. We have a, like basically a gelateria. So I focused on what am I going to learn how to do here? Pasta. So I got really good at pasta. I really got really good at, uh, at saute. So I, I really, that's how I learned to cook was taking a job as the head chef of a restaurant and figuring it out. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a fire. fun job. I had, that was my first brush with, uh, with lots of celebrities coming in there. That was, uh, Clint Eastwood was, was always hanging out there. There was all these, uh, these, uh, Paul Anka would come in. Kenny Loggins had his 40th birthday party. So it was like this sort of Carmelly kind of hangout spot for, for all these famous mm. people. So I, it was my first brush with thinking, wow, this is kind of a glamorous job being a chef. Uh, and it was kind of fun. So I met Kenny Loggins once. Did you? Yeah, in an elevator at Live Aid. Huh. And um, we were, I was actually, <laughs> I digress, but... I was there for a friend's wedding, and our dresses were like these pink checkered, um, I mean, literally, I was like, yeah, so so we're in the elevator, and I'm like, oh my God, what time do you go on? And, you know, we're all in our bridesmaids' dresses, you know, and I'm like, what time do you go on? And he said something, and I go, yeah, well, we go on, I think, after you. Because we looked like we could have been like the Cindy Lauper. And then we go out and we're like about to get in this like old fashioned, um, this white kind of Cadillac limo kind of thing. And um, people are all barricaded. This was at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia. And they're all barricaded behind the thing. And people are screaming, oh my God, oh my God, there's Madonna. And you know, and, you and, and I'm like <laughs> looking like this because we look so like we could have been anything. It's funny. That's my Kenny Loggins story. I meet Kennys in elevators because I met Kenny G in Tokyo in an elevator. Whoa. Really, only yeah. Kennys. In only Kennys. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. So and I well, I have to say a couple of other people yeah. I've met there that were George C. Scott. Ooh. And we had no beer on the menu. We we're so shishi. We only had a beautiful wine list. <laughs> and he so wanted beer. He wanted beer. So the the owner came back. She goes, "Do you have any beer?" I said, "Yeah, I got the kitchen beer." But you know, well, George George wants some kitchen beer. So he drank six Miller High Life, wow. uh, uh, which was I was honored to, to yeah to give him the beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he was probably very happy with you. Very happy, yes. Yes. <laughs> Shirley Temple Black came in with oh. her husband. Um, that was a fun. I story. have my own stories about her, but they're not appropriate for. This. <laughs> uh oh. That's a tease. 
Another time. <laughs> it is a tease, I guess. But is that for another time off microphone? Is that no, either way, but it's it's not really about food. So. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, wonderful stories. So, so where'd you go f- next? I went to France, to um, <clears throat> Paris. So I found a hotel in Paris. Initially, I went with some friends, and we toured around the south of France, and then they left, and I stayed in Paris. So I settled down for three months in Paris. So this is winter time, December, January, February. I found a hotel I liked, the Grand Hotel Leveque, and uh, on the Rue Claire, and I started going to um, classes at uh, La Barrette. Oh. And I just loved that place. I loved uh, Anne Willen, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, that started a thread that I that went for many, many years with Anne. I would see her. I saw her again the next time at the Greenbrier, yeah. West Virginia, and then the last ICP conference in Chicago. I saw her. So, and then she would come uh, with her husband um, to Cafe La Haye often when she was teaching at Ramekin. So I always kind of, that started a whole uh, a whole thread with her. You know, I interviewed her a couple of times at Copia, and I just was struck by her generosity and kindness to other people and she helping was, people. Yeah. She's a wonderful lady. And, uh, I don't know where she is now, and uh, but... Probably not terribly active. Right. So I stayed there that... that winter and uh, came back to California okay what's next I thought about staying in in France try to get a job and uh, so complicated it's it was and uh, I came back I got a went to the culinary academy they had a whole job board there they were looking for a chef for um George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch. So I went out there. It wasn't the head chef job. It was the sous chef job. I went out there and I said, well, this could be fun. And so I took the job. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. Got moved into a house uh, with some friends in San Francisco. Nice big Victorian Mm. and got a, a nice job. Within two months, the chef left, and I became the head chef. So I was the executive chef at uh, uh, the Skywalker Ranch. What, what, what kind of, what did you cook there? Because well, it wasn't open to the public? No, it was, so they were still building the ranch, and uh, basically I cooked uh, in the, it would be called a commissary for the employees, but a really nice commissary. So every day the the employees because they're it's a very remote location you don't want people driving out for lunch so we provided uh, lunch for the staff and then uh, there was an executive dining room so we'd have staff meetings and George would have important guests that I would cook for them and then uh, George had his own uh, personal chef he he lived in San Rafael but for bigger events uh, I would be called in to, to handle those okay and so come cool. to his house so 
it was a, a fun magical. You had all that celebrity training in Carmel. I did. So I, I felt really comfortable around those kind of people. I don't feel... And unimpressed, probably. It's not that I... Yeah. yeah, generally not super impressed. Yeah. Just... Uh, I aim to serve, and that's, you know, with George, uh, it was... You know, there's some people that have the temperament to be a personal chef, somebody that is um, is not so in awe of, of famous people that they can just act normally, but also they can be discreet, and not everybody can do that. Uh, so I was perfect for that kind of job. I was uh, friendly and uh, professional, and I could always be trusted. So that somehow that gets gets telegraphed to the, the people and, and they liked having me around and uh, did you get to cook whatever you wanted um, or pretty did they much have certain styles of what it was wanted? I'm still in the in the beginning stages of figuring out what my style <laughs> is so uh, really then or now then oh okay <laughs> then. Not now I mean you know what your style is now yeah yeah, but then you were trying to figure out like, right, and, who and you were. I kind of dabbled in Southwest uh, uh, food, and but pretty much it was kind of straightforward, uh, very California style cooking, and uh, and I let the feedback um, guide me. George uh, went, and I would be, let's say be free with the with the uh, the fat, and, and uh, so George gently started. He started by giving me a book on on, uh, on vegetarian cooking, and uh, so his concern was he wanted everybody to be around in 30 years. So he didn't want me getting everybody fattened up. <laughs> and, and I was kind of famous for these barbecues where I'm grilling lamb, uh. and uh, I was really in at that time. I was really into uh, doing compound butter, so I'd grill a lamb butterfly a lamb leg and mar do a Moroccan style marinade and then I'd slather it with a, a compound butter. My mouth is wow. right now. <laughs> yeah. And this is in the middle of the day when people have to go back to work. So um, again, got to meet a lot of interesting people. Uh, there was a few favorites. Ron Howard, the director. Opie yeah. from Happy Days. Yeah. And uh, I cooked a meal for, for he and George and George sent word, well, Ron wants to meet you. So I went out there, you know, and it was Opie. He goes, that was really good. <laughs> it was just like Ron. And uh, I, I love that guy. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was, wow. he was directing a film and uh, it was really cool. There's certain people that you, you meet in real life and they're, they're as cool as you think they're going to be. And Leonard was... He's it, a pretty cool guy. Isn't it interesting that now, you know, like if you fast forward to like, now we have celebrity chefs. Right. And people like kind of are in awe when they meet certain people. Right. And it's kind of, I mean, there were very few 30 years ago. No. You know, it wasn't like someone was like, oh my God. But now, you know, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but. But do they get to be celebrity chefs through television shows? Um, it it appears that that's how that happens, but I would think like I don't know how did or Wolfgang maybe podcasts cook? or yeah now podcasts like but this that's one. not going to help. 
Um, well, I think we're in an, <laughs> in an age of celebrity, and, yeah. and I think that we're in an age where there's many people that are famous for being famous, and right. how they got to be famous in the first place doesn't really matter. Uh, you can become a, uh, a social social media influencer by I don't know. I guess you got to look good. Having good yeah. makeup, right? Yeah, huh. and you have to take a. You have to know right. which side is your right side to and, be photographed. And you have to. You have to really. Uh, I think you need to be focused on being famous. You have to put effort into it. Yeah. Did you see that Netflix? I think it was on Netflix. American Mem. No. There was a show about exactly what you're saying, and it like went back and showed how Paris Hilton how she got and the fat jew guy like where he got and how he started and um it's fascinating right you know how much money they would make on you know one yeah right yeah crazy well are we saying we are we are kathleen's just gonna go get a book out of her car and then she'll be right back okay cool (coughs) she's got a surprise for us Ooh. um so Let's see. So, Lucas, so was that the last one before Cafe La Haye? No, no. I had oh. many more. Three. Oh, so I was three years there, and um, I, um, again, I was getting itchy feet. I mean, this is a, this is a good job at uh, being the executive chef for for Lucasfilm for the whole Probably company. Probably good money at the time too. Great money. I would be set for life with a secure job with a secure retirement. I'd be treated. Mm-hmm. Well, did you get to go to movies? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was in a in a movie as an extra. Ooh, and, uh, which one? Uh, well, it was a made-for-TV movie, movie called The Ewok Adventure. And I, <laughs> <laughs> little known. You weren't the Ewok. Known, uh, no, I was some one some funny-looking guy with uh, a big uh, rubber mask. And uh, that wasn't oh, the Christmas fun. special, was it? It was the one with with uh, Wilfred Brimley. Okay, I don't I remember that. that. I remember they did a they did like a Christmas. I mean, this is when you know it was red hot. Star Wars was red right. hot, and they were trying to capitalize. It was not just the action figures right. and that, but they did this really bizarre Christmas special. And the oh, it wasn't Ewoks though. It was whatever Chewbacca is. A Wookie. Um, a Wookie. They and they the whole this is show. The, now it's all Pokemon. <laughs> this, all these though, names. They decided that they were going to have the Wookies just talk in their Wookie native language. language and not put any subtitles. You can still find this on YouTube. It's, <laughs> That's it's a Christmas really story. Bizarre, and it was how the you know the the Empire was coming to to get all the Wookies, and right. Chewbacca had to somehow get home and save his family. Um, and there, there was even a dance number, I think, with um, uh, Carrie Fisher. Just really <laughs> bizarre, so but it's funny. one of those things that you have to uh, hunt uh, down on YouTube. That's so funny. <laughs> well, and my uncle is actually, he's, those of you that listen to the other podcast, the winemakers that I do, know um, once in a while we have, bye Kathleen. Bye. I, thought was, <laughs> I thought I was sneaking out. No, <laughs> not no. around here. No, I, have, I have another commitment I have to make. But another podcast. No. this is my only podcast okay good to know and um so see you next time we do it all right thank you okay yeah thank you always yeah bye nice to see you john all right yeah yeah my my... well may i say something about him first (laughs) sit sit back down this this isn't part of john mcreynolds 
culinary career, but it may be a result of it and his foraging and the new book. And that is that he has been the conduit to sources of funding for our school gardens here in Sonoma Valley um, that has been miraculous and helped thousands of kids. I just want to say publicly mm, thank you, John awesome. McReynolds. You're welcome. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. That was worth the sit down. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Back to my stupid story. So, so my Uncle Dave, we would get, he had these random wines. So on the other podcast, we'd have Uncle Dave's cellar where he, where he had all these wines that he got from this woman that he that was one of his accounts. But he had the Skywalker Ranch was one of his accounts. So he, would, he always tells stories of seeing some of the things from Star Wars and all these things that he would see. I guess he would go in there when they were closed. Um, so he'd get to kind of poke around and... And tell me stories of that. It's fun. It's fun. I was there for the last Indiana Jones and wow. the last Star Wars, and I got to see. Uh, at the time, I was dating a, um, a makeup artist who worked on on the films, and so I I spent a lot of time hanging out with her on set and did some catering on set, although that was for uh, Industrial Light Light Magic for when there were doing some blue screen um, uh, photography it it was it's movie magic because the reality is those spaceships are made out of plywood they're spray painted silver everything wow. is every all the noises uh, those are all you know they, they go to to Alcatraz and record the the clanking of all yep. the the so it's all it's, it's all lights to have mirrors, like a sneak peek behind the scenes yeah, of it was all that. Funny. And, yeah. and I, I got to see a lot of, I was there cooking lunch for uh, uh, George and Steve Jobs when he sold off Pixar to, to, uh, to Jobs. So it's yeah. it fun, fun to be, see chefs that kind of, we can sort of be like, like Zelig. Uh, yeah, and, anywhere. And, uh, we're a fly on the wall. We're, we've, we see it. We get to witness history, and it's kind of fun. And uh, well, and and that career threads in so many other careers, non-related. Right. Just because you need to do a job. Right. It's pretty cool. Pretty so again, cool. I got itchy feet, got bored. Believe it or not, I got bored. Did you have a job before you left? No, no. You I actually left. went back to France. Went to Antibes. Oh, and I, I, I went there for a French intensive French language school. I thought, okay, now I'm going to really move to France. So I went there, and I. It was beautiful. Antibes, and I went there in May. It's just so beautiful, and immediately, because I was a little bit older than, the, by then I was in my mid thirties, a little bit older than the rest, most of the other students. So I started hanging out with the, uh, the, the owners of the school and um, we formed a friendship and we, I started playing tennis with them on the clay courts there. And, yeah, and, and on tee for, <laughs> if, if for, I mean, it's definitely one of the wealthier oh, yeah. areas in the south of France. Yeah. So I, I mean, small, exclusive, a lot of things behind big gates right. and hedges. Exactly. Yeah gorgeous so I ended up staying there the whole summer 
uh, with uh, cooking at the school. Cooking for, oh, for the people that were right. learning English and, or I mean, French. French. Right. Yeah. So I would go down every day to, on my bicycle to the boulangerie and I get all the, the, the loaves of bread for breakfast and I make breakfast and then uh, once a week exactly and once a week I would do um, a dinner for everybody so I did that it was idyllic it, it I love the south like, of France yeah. mm. but I needed to make money so I had my resume and I went to uh, the English run the yacht trade in the Mediterranean and so there was an, uh, an office in Antibes run by English people for uh, an employment agency for, for the yachting trade. So I brought in my resume and I said, I, I'd like to get a job on a yacht. Knew nothing <laughs> about that. And they looked at it and go, okay, I've, we've got a boat for you. So the next day, wow, they gave me a ticket to fly from Nice to... Um, to Palma de Mallorca, Spain, and I interviewed with the with the the not the captain, but the uh, uh, the representative, the owner, who was uh, a wealthy um, uh, movie guy, and I got the job. So I moved back to San Francisco, moved out of my house, put everything in storage, and then moved back to Spain and started an, an eight-month adventure on this yacht. Wait, were you living on Mallorca? Or in the yacht? Well, on, on the yacht in, in Mallorca. And, and, but you took trips or just most of the time you were in dock? No, no, we took, tri <clears throat> we, we took one long cruise. Right. So we were gone for several months. Okay. And one long cruise all over the Mediterranean. So wow. we spent more time parked in um, Naples than anywhere mm -hmm. we'd be there for sometimes weeks at a time wow and did you have to cook every day i had to cook for the the, the crew crew which i didn't know would be the hardest part of my job because these were all english well there's one american guy one german guy but the captain was english the engineer the stewardess the there were a lot all. of brats and I knew nothing about cooking English food so the the owner's representative <laughs> insert joke here wanted me to cook for <laughs> cook Italian food so that's what I was cooking the crew hated Italian oh food. my oh, no. goodness so the captain said introduced me to something called marmite or yeah veggie marmite right bisto which yeah. is what you use to make sauces brown and salty yeah mushy peas i was then again in a beautiful place i was you just I, had to buy a lot of canned stuff and right. you would have been fine i know i couldn't yeah, do that i know so eight months later i left and then uh, started traveling went to germany to uh, and that's where i met my wife Brigitte where did Germany. you guys meet in uh, Rosenheim Germany in Bavaria uh, in her art gallery wow 
And you walked in, you saw her work. Well, I actually, I was there. I knew somebody in the town uh, who, uh, she was a, a writer for a, a, the newspaper and her husband was a photographer. And they had said a couple of years ago when I met them on the island of Skopelos in Greece, I was on vacation. That's where they filmed Mamma Mia. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful island. They said, if you ever come to Germany, you must visit. So I just showed up. Back then, before cell phones, right. just kind of showed yeah, up. Exactly. Like, it's crazy like how right. things would happen. You didn't have to plan. No. No. So they said, oh, we're going. A friend of ours uh, is having an opening at her art gallery. You want to come? So... Of course. <laughs> and that's where I met Brigitte. Wow. Was it love at first sight? No, no. It, it was not. Um, <laughs> she was married at the time. So okay. I was, didn't even think about it. I was not interested at all. And, mm -hmm. uh, and as things happen sometimes, there, there's uh, the law of attraction. Uh, sometimes we have no control over right. it. And right, right. Now we've been married. This is our thirtieth year, so oh, I guess I guess it worked out pretty well. Yeah. And I guess that was more meant to be. And uh, and how long did you live in Germany? Did you stay there, or no, you convinced her to move? I stayed there for for a couple of months, and then um, moved back to California. It was very very filled with drama, and because she she was ready to end her relationship. She meeting me just sort of sparked. Was the tip on the iceberg, right? Yeah. So, so she was going through yeah. her own stuff in in this, and uh, so I've moved back to California for the the winter to chill, and uh, started planning. Well, what should I do next? Well, maybe I'll find a job in Europe you, so I can be closer to you her. You sound like a millennial. I know. <laughs> Seriously, it's awesome. So we, so I took a job in at a hotel in Norway. So I moved to Norway, stopped in Amsterdam. Brigitte and I had a week together in Amsterdam, which was fabulous, so beautiful and romantic. And then she visited me twice in Norway during the the it was a summer job, May through September, and then I moved to Germany. Wow. And uh, got rid of the husband by then. Oh, he was long gone, and uh, yeah, so. And the rest is history, right? right? And then, after being uh, a couple of years in Germany, we moved to California, San Francisco. Stayed in uh, a sublet on Russian Hill of a friend of mine, and then we moved up to Sonoma. Was that the first time she was in San Francisco? No, she she, she had been once before. Mm -hmm. Visited me once when I was okay. in California for okay. the. Okay, so she kind of knew where she was heading. Right, and she did not know anything about San Francisco living there. She kind of liked it, but she's from a small Bavarian village, mm -hmm. so ultimately, uh, living in a in a city was not ideal for her. So I was working in a restaurant called the Hyde Street Bistro uh, mm. as their chef de cuisine, uh, run by, owned by a, a, an Austrian guy, a couple of 
Austrian, and they went on to open uh, Leopold's on yeah. Polk Street mm -hmm. and Cafe Metropole, uh, some other restaurants. So we would go on the weekend. We'd say, well, let's, where do we want to live? I said, well, how about, let's go check out Sonoma. And I'd never been to Sonoma. So we drove in here. Is that 96, 97, 90? No, no, that was earlier. That was in 1990. Wow. And we drove in here, and Ricky just said, this is where I want to live. I love it here. So we rented a house in El Verano on a third of an acre on Penny Lane mm. for $600 a month. And I went to work at Piatti, working under Dan, Donna Scala, Oh my and, gosh. And uh, that is wild. Yes, and Giovanni was running the dining room and Donna was uh, Donna was opening the the uh, the Yountville uh Piatti then, so she wasn't there as much and Doug Lane was the yes. chef. Yes. Oh my god. So I It's they, like a blast from they, the past. They threw me on saute and uh, I was making 8.50 an hour. It was a fun time. It was an easy time. Yeah. Brigitte was working at the Arts Guild. Yeah. And we all had she one. She hasn't moved very far from there. No. And she was, uh, we had one car, so she'd ride a bicycle to, to go work at the Arts Guild. It seemed like a simpler time, and mm -hmm. we didn't need and as much. And you had much. a baby. And then we had a baby, and then Brigitte got very homesick, and we moved back to Germany for two years. Okay. So the second, the, la the second time we moved back here was in uh, fall of 95. Came back here, we found a, a rental on Melvin Avenue next to Bob Rice. Uh -huh. And uh, I went to work for uh, Peter and Kirsten Stewart at the Bear Flag Cafe. Oh my God! I totally forgot about that. Well, now that. it's bulldozed. It's bulldozed. It is. It's this gone. This is the Manny uh, Manny oh my from Los Alettes. I totally, totally forgot that. That's where we met. Right. I I mean literally I I to, I mean I didn't forget that they had that place, but right. I totally forgot you were the chef right. there. Wow. Well, for not too long, because then. Um, I'd been talking to Jim Callahan, the, the manager of the La Haye Arts Center, about about buying the restaurant from Charles Saunders, who owned the Sunnyside Coffee Club and Blues Bar. Right. And John actually worked there. Did he? Yes, before, For before Charles? Beyonce. Yeah, right. that was like his only right. restaurant job he had way, way back. So, um, so I finally um, decided I'm going to make the leap to open a restaurant I was scared scared out it's of my scary. mind scary so scary and then uh, and then I met Saul Gropman uh, who had married Ani Molaraki um, a good friend of Brigitte's and mine and and uh, Saul came over for dinner and I made a, a kachuko which is a, a Tuscan uh, fish soup mm. and he loved it so much and I told him about my plan to open a restaurant and Saul said, How would you like a partner? And for me, that was like somebody throwing a life preserver to me in a, in, in a drowning sea. I, perfect. I, I did not have what it took to open a restaurant by myself. 
Really do. I mean, but you don't feel that now. No, but I did back then. I just did not really. You didn't know how have to the do it. confidence. In I knew yourself. how to cook, right? But I didn't think that I knew how to do all the other part of it, which mm -hmm. seemed daunting. So, and Solid had experience um, managing the South places, Park Cafe, yeah. and he was part owner of Ristorante Echo, and also in South Park. So, that's how we started Cafe La Haye. And wow. we each put up $10,000 of our own money. So it's says $20,000. Uh, Frank and Sally LaHaye bought out uh, Charles Saunders. And then they, uh, uh, they prorated the, the rent for two years so we could pay them back for the price of the restaurant. How much was the restaurant at the time? Do you remember? The rent? Or is that, so you didn't have to pay for someone else's business? No. No, okay, well, so I did, we did over time. Over they, time. So, right. like, they bought Charles out. Yes. And then we paid them back paid over them two back. years. Okay. And it was, uh, like, 50000 or 100000 It was less than 50000 Less than fifty. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that... Uh, yeah, but that's, like, the price. Because, like, I paid, I paid fifty. Right. For the original Glen Ellen location, right. God, like you wish you could buy something. Well, that, this is 1996, yeah. Uh, and we did, uh, so we each put in ten thousand. That was a lot 20, of money. Then. That was a lot yeah. of money. And my brother Bill, who is a uh, was a general contractor from Santa Cruz, and also a lighting designer, came in and did all the lighting for us. He helped us do all the electrical work, and Saul and I, basically, we painted the whole restaurant ourselves. We did a lot of the work, cleanup, and uh, we opened. Uh, we opened on a on a Saturday, and it was the Fourth of July that we opened, and it was chaotic, and I. Just was, we we were gonna open on the first of July, but Brigitta, my wife, who does astrology, she said that's not a good day to open. So I just took, <laughs> did the chart for the restaurant. You should not open that date. So we waited a couple of days, and I guess it worked because yeah. we were successful. Like pretty close to the beginning. No, well, no, the beginning was hard. I would say um, we opened as a breakfast lunch restaurant. Right. And we were doing breakfast and lunch, and we were making no money at all. Even though we're we're full for lunch, everybody coming for lunch, filling it all up, we weren't making any money. And uh, breakfast was kind of so-so busy. And then so we said, well, if we're going to survive, we have to go to d dinner. So we did for a while. We were doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's a lot. And then we hired a chef to do breakfast and lunch, and I started doing the dinner and then when we saw the potential for making more money at dinner we um, we dropped the breakfast and lunch and but kept the Saturday and Sunday brunch mm -hmm. and then we dropped the Saturday brunch it then sounds we, exactly like what I did at the cafe but we were always changing the days were closed and the hours yeah. and <laughs> confusing everybody yeah but that's that's our right and yeah, i always you have feel to like figure it out 
I always feel like it's so important to, you know, for a small, I mean, that's the advantage of a, being a small business owner. You, you have the right to do it your way. It's your, this is your baby. And, and if you want to be closed on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, so or be it. And if you try it and say, that's, does yeah. it work? Then you and, change it. And if people don't like it, well, that's the price you pay for making those decisions. Exactly. And right. you either change it and because you want to take care of all the people and you compromise what you really want, or you make a compromise somewhere in there that's going to work for both the guests and the business owners. It's hard. Those are hard lessons. Well, as you know, I mean, you, you've, Closed, yeah. Open, open and, and closed, closed a number of places. Closed, you, yeah. you, you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out, and you know the people sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, critiquing what those of us that are actually out there, you Doing know, putting it. it on the line, you know, they got they got not much to say in my opinion. Right. It's like they're they're not taking any risk at all. Right. You know, I've taken risk. You've taken lots of risks, and. Well, I don't know. No risk, no reward. So that's true. You know, got to do it. So we when uh, when we got uh, reviewed by Michael Bauer, and then we got uh, in the top one hundred. Top one hundred. That really changed everything, and that really set it. It was exactly what I didn't want. I did not. <laughs> oh, I didn't want that. Then it's oh, then it's pressure time. I can't just cook my food. Now, now it's got to be, oh my God, precious people that are coming now to, you know, because they read a review. Oh God. Right. You know, then the expectation that, you know, and then we're, you know, and then uh, and Mark Bittman. Remember when Mark Bittman came yes. and he wrote about yes. you and, yeah. and us and. That was, and a, that was great. That was great. I loved all that. Yes. I like, was like, yes. Right. So we're waiting for Bittman. Became kind of a running joke. It was. Who's Bittman? Mark Bittman. Well, now he's, I mean, he was a reviewer and he's a writer and he has books and um, he's got one of those meal kits, the purple carrot, I think is Uh, his. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Bauer, I know, but I've never heard of uh, Bittman. He was really, wasn't he New York Times then? New York Times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was written like a number. I pivot. mean, his landmark book was "How to Cook Everything." Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally everything. Yeah. Wow. What was the menu like at Cafe Lehe when you first opened? Um, is is it very different actually on that same question? That is it different now? Do oh you yeah, think? it's okay. totally different. Okay. Um, you know, for me, it was how do I design a menu that we have no virtually no refrigeration we have no walk in there we're we're yeah. using only under counter reach in refrigerators wow. so the whole thing had to be all the proteins had to be super compact so uh that's why i said okay i'm you know quail a, a quail <laughs> boneless skinless uh you know chicken breast uh, boneless skin on chicken breast airline breasts they call them with the little bone still yeah. on there pork chops filet mignon everything i could fit into into cambros and then that would fit nicely into the reach in and uh, and you basically bought for that day or two days i had to yeah and we would 
but uh, but the, so we I kept a very slim uh, regular menu, and then how I I filled it in was to do a lot of specials every day, and that way I wasn't stuck with having a lot of things around and. Uh, and you weren't I, bored. No, and then I would, you know, and then I could get uh, some some sexier stuff in there, work with it. I could do a roast chicken and uh, never have to refrigerate it because I could roast it uh, in the late afternoon. And then, uh, and then when I had an order, then I would like finish off roasting that half a chicken and. And I would never have to refrigerate it. So, so I had a, a number of things that I would do like that that would be sort of last minute, and uh, it worked. Well, best butterscotch pudding. That was not mine. That's Jeff. Jeff's. Or maybe no. that was Norm's. That was Norm's. No, you never did butterscotch. No, no I remember not. having it way, way back. Really? Yes. I did. Are you sure? I'm not. I'm not known for my desserts. But it, but but that I'm, I think you had but or podic you are well, you the, sure? Well, yeah, what I had, you know, again, everything was because there what's were only a couple things. It was chocolate pot de creme. It was creme brulee. Oh no 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 no! It was the chocolate pot de creme. Right. I thank yeah. you. Yes. It was. Yeah, it was the like, best. It was very good. I mean, ours is uh, best. No, I'm good. kidding. It was amazing. <laughs> I haven't made it. It's in, amazing. Oh my god! I I'm like seriously, my mouth is watering again. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I just recently actually, not that recently, but six months ago, had a pot de creme at Le Comptoir mm -hmm. in Paris. Right. And, oh my God, it was so freaking good. They put a little, did you do that? You put cream on top? You yes. poured cream on the top? Oh my God. Just it kind was, of a little lightly just whipped a little cream? Bit, yeah. yeah. No, this was like heavy cream, like okay. milk. Yeah. It was... Uh, Freaking amazing! <laughs> I mean, I I would go back just for that. Yeah. yeah, I love that place. I remember going there in the '80s. Oh God, it's it's still. I've been a few times, and it's just ran into Alice Waters there oh, one really? night that John and Claudia and I were there, which oh. was so bizarre. Like, it's how exciting. is it that two you know Northern California people at the same dinner service? So weird, but um. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and that's my favorite hotel there to the relay. But um, yeah, mm. I know. So, who but, was who was um, in charge of the wine list? Did you have any input, or was Saul pretty much? Saul did all the wine list. Okay, so Saul, I did everything. Food. Food, and I was not interested in the business part of it. I wasn't interested even in the food cost part of it, <laughs> which Saul was not happy about. But I, uh, as long as we were making money and I was getting a paycheck, I, I just wanted to make the best food I could. And I really bought most of my produce from Paul or you mm -hmm. know or when Farm. Paul moved to Oak Hill Farm and mm -hmm. that was that was what I liked and that's so that's and then when uh, Mac McQuown is that thunder no truck? no I think it's, oh, it's a, a truck yeah. Right. truck yeah All right. so Mac McQuown bought Stone Edge Farm and then he planted an organic garden he came to me at La Haye and said and I'd known him 
from the 80s when I used to cater for him in San wow. Francisco. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So uh, I said, sure. So his gardener would bring uh, every Wednesday produce, and I would never know what they're bringing, Just which I like. I didn't never. Totally never right yes, I never perfect. ordered anything. So wow. it was great. <laughs> that's amazing. It's pretty cool. And that's kind of what I still get at at uh, at Edge. We get the gardener comes once a week and brings everything. Wow. So, uh, 10 years, Cafe La Haye, give or take? 10 and a half years. 10 and a half years. And then um, you guys parted ways. Yeah, it was in October after the, the, the busy season. You know how it is, you know, and, and it's, it's back then it started to wind down in October. Now it winds down at Christmas, you know. Yeah, and actually, I gotta say, ten years is um, that's pretty long for you. Yeah, it was a long time, and uh, I I knew it immediately. It was a a, a slow uh, slow like Wednesday night, and I looked at the clock, and I go, I've never looked at the clock since I've been here. I never look at the clock, and I said, I'm ready to go. So at the end of the night, and th this all happened in one night, literally in, in, within an hour. And no argument, no like no, I nothing said, happened. I, I went you to Saul and like, I said, Saul, Saul, at the end of the year, I'm done. Either we can sell the restaurant or you can buy me out. But New Year's Eve, you knew, be my last. Uh, yeah. So and so Saul thought about it and then he said, Well, I'm going to buy you out. So I said, Fine. So. We worked out a deal. Mm -hmm. uh, New Year's Eve, I cooked my last meal. And I took my chef clogs and I put them, threw them in the garbage, <laughs> symbolically. <laughs> and, and I went home to lay on the couch for about three weeks. Yeah, I could hardly move. I thought, there must be something wrong with me. I couldn't move. And... Well, it's, I mean, philosophical and, you know, like it was the end of something. You know? I know. It was Waiting like the end of something. Yeah. I think it was. I mean, it must be. I've never had a divorce. I mean, I've broke, broken up with people, but it must, it's the end of a, of a relationship, not just with a person, right. but with an idea, a place. No, it's a place and, you were every, almost every day for right. Eight, ten, twelve hours a day. I and, mean, and I, I was consciously leaving, and I didn't know what I was leaving for. I just knew it was time to leave, and it was really the the right decision. Every time I've made that kind of, I was mm -hmm. at at, uh, at Lucasfilm. What a great job! What a great. I said, I need to leave. Great decision. Mm -hmm. Same with LaHaye. I'm so glad. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I think like we think about our lives and, you know, I kind of feel really sad for people that just do the same thing their whole life. I mean, they may be really content doing it and they may be really happy doing it, but ignorance is bliss you know if you don't know right. what you don't know right. I mean I love discovering I mean it's nice to have something solid behind you to let you be able to run off and go travel or afford to do things but 
I don't know, the world is as small or as big as you want it to be. And, you know, you, you're a wanderer. I am a wanderer. I still love to wander. Yeah. But you and, get the balance now. Right. Do you? Well, now I'm 10 years, uh, 10 years uh, at um, Stone Edge Farm Winery. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So I still had two years basically off. Are you ready to go? I'm not ready to go, but I'm ready to change my job there, and I have been changing okay. it. Okay. And what uh, are you changing it to? Well, okay. Well, what what was your job? Well, for? my job was the culinary director, and I still am the culinary director, mm-hmm. and uh, basically cooking was my job. Mm-hmm. And I cooked the first uh, several years. I cooked uh, as the personal chef for um, for the owners. And then, um, as the winery became uh, came online, I started actually selling wine and repping the wine. And then we finally hired Dorothy uh, Cicchetti, who's um, Dorothy or um, Ani Molaraki's yeah. daughter. So she took over as the marketing, and Mac and Leslie decided to buy Rin's Thai restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I was then responsible for making that into a restaurant, and uh, the idea is is that we would uh, open it as a private restaurant, and um, which really is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a private uh, club, private restaurant that's open also to the public uh, in various ways. Thursday evenings, mm-hmm. uh, people come. Uh, also, is it so bizarre that you're actually across the street I from know. your old restaurant? It it sort of is. Our address is one thirty nine East Napa Street. What was the other one? One forty East Napa Street. That's it's so kind crazy. of bizarre, but I love that little street, yeah, that little neighborhood. Lovely. And uh, Brigitte still has her studio in the La Haye Arts Center. Andy uh, um, has the bookstore. Oh, and, I know. Um, and it, yeah. Uh, yeah, we can send hearts to Lila. Yeah, and she was uh, uh, she was a, a week before she passed away. She was at um, Edge doing a book reading with me oh. and Andy and Lila. She was so kind and and helpful and uh, and. Uh, yeah, so for people that um, are listening in, Lilla was um, wife of Andy, um, mother of Tobias, and I don't know. Gideon. And Gideon. And um, just a really treasured person in our community, Part, you know, owners of Reader's Books, and certainly um, her her knowledge and her abilities go way beyond that and um you know she recently passed on and sad sad she was a really good person yeah anyway okay we're gonna jump on happiness so um so my job was to create this restaurant and actually cook in it, and I've been doing that. Also, finding the right people to bring the the culinary dimension of our little winery, which is 
a huge dimension mm-hmm. for such a small winery to have such an intense culinary presence uh, is is pretty unusual. So we um, and I'm just following the the wishes of the owners. They they have always wanted a strong culinary component to the presentation of the wines. It's a, a the wines full, are extraordinary. They're great wines, full flavored Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. It's a lot of wines that, especially the the Rhone varietals that you, that you favor, you can open it up and sit back and start drinking it and enjoy it. But I, mm-hmm. a Cabernet Sauvignon needs needs some help uh, with, especially fatty foods, some cheese mm-hmm. or some nuts or something to really, uh, that's when it's going to show Right. show its best right i mean so, they weren't always like the most friendly food no. friendly wines they're no. wines that are i mean in my personal opinion they're about wine right you know and it's not part of a recipe of food and wine it's like the you know and i guess in that kind of business the wine comes first right so we've created this this show place for the for the wine and for uh, it's twofold. It's one to obviously to uh, to get new members to our to our wine club. How many members do you have? I think we're approaching uh, one thousand now. And wow, and that's so incredible. the The idea is that, of course, we're not the first uh, uh, high end winery to go completely uh, direct to consumer, which. Um, is it's a more modern uh, metric now that uh, we have a staff to uh, I'm part of the the acquisition and the retention I do mm-hmm. both once mm-hmm. once we get uh, a, someone to sign up and be a club member well my job is to keep them happy through all of these special food events and uh, if they want to come dine with us or they want to create a special evening for somebody's birthday or wow so we've done it all and then so i've gone out and gotten the staff uh fiorella boutron now is is uh the executive chef at at uh, stone edge farm and i've really turned over the day-to-day cooking responsibility and kitchen management to her uh, Mike, is that the helicopter pilot helicopter pilot did she used to be a helicopter pilot? No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> or Are maybe you she sure? never. She's never shared that with me. But ask her. Ask her if she's ever been a helicopter okay. pilot. Well, she's from Peru. She was a helicopter pilot. <laughs> I will ask her that. <laughs> and then, uh, so she co-wrote the book with me, along with uh, Mike Emanuel, who is the the chef over at uh, the actual estate over there. And it's the personal chef for Mike and Mac and Leslie. And did both books with you or just this, just this, this current book. one? Yeah, just this mm-hmm. one. And uh, so I really assembled the team. And then the last uh, component was uh, the dining room and uh, finding uh, Larry, Larry Nadeau, uh, hiring French him laundry. away from the French Laundry. Sorry, Thomas, but... Oh, well. Again, it's all about... Um, I think it's all about timing in, in mm-hmm. life and... Uh, 
Larry's fantastic, and he's really brought uh, a level of, of polish to the dining room that it's 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 pretty amazing. Wow. And, and I think for him that that it was perfect timing. Uh, he's reaching a, a point in his career where he wants to ply his craft, but the pressure of doing running the French Laundry dining room every mm-hmm. evening. It's intense. It's intense, but how about the hours? Right. I mean, he described to me the the situation. They're 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 having their team meetings at one thirty in the morning to to talk about service the next day. Oh, that yeah. that would not work for me. For me. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. And then back at it again. That's that's a young person's job. It and, is. But also, I think running a kitchen. Every day, that's a young person's job, and I'm, you know, I'm freely admit that I'm, you know, I put a lot you're, of. You're an old man now. I, I don't let's think say I'm so. an elder, I'm jo- but I'm joking. I've been an elder, and uh, I, I just think it's time. And Fiorella, she's, you know, in her 30s. She's in her culinary prime, and uh, I'm happy to uh, to have her in there. I'm the. What brings me joy now is is baking bread it's a new skill that i've learned uh, in the last year and a half and uh, it gives me more joy to be able to to make bread and, uh, nice so so i mean you're not morphing your job into being a baker no my i'm morphing my job into let's say being um management uh-huh. Director. I mean, there was director. I am the culinary director. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot to do. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and starting so next year. So, what's a typical day for you? Well, usually I'm off on Mondays. Okay. So Sunday, Best Mondays. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Tuesday we have uh, a meeting. Uh, we meet once a, a month with the um, the marketing uh, and membership staff, so we all get together to talk about uh, what events we have coming up. We're starting to get really busy, so we'll lay out our plans for the for the coming week. Uh, I've got a I meet every two weeks with the the PR staff for the the book, and we have a. a um, We'll talk about our strategy. How, how are we? You know, what are the things we're doing for the book? Because the book is basically beyond telling a story. It's also, it's it's uh, it's a piece of, of um, uh, yeah collateral of collateral that is very important. And when you're, uh, as you know, Sandra, I mean, you you have copies of both your books at your restaurants. People they want they. Right. They want to see that. They want to t- buy it. They want to take it home. And and this is you're you're reminding them of your name and, and right. what you do. And that's just a, a very important part of it. And so, are you doing any jarred foods? We're doing a lot of jarred foods. That's that you sell where? No, we don't sell them. Oh, you just, just for us. Right, right, right. Well, I would I can think I could see that that could potentially come next. You guys could have might whole, be especially that, from this. Right. So right now we're using it all in our mm-hmm. in our cooking. Uh, 
I don't know that we would ever get to, I mean, we couldn't, we don't have the, the amount of produce right. to do it at a grand scale. So then mm -hmm. it would be mean having to buy produce right. and then it would, and we couldn't do it all ourselves. So we'd have to then subcontract somebody to do it. Right. Maybe down the road sometime we would do it, but right now, uh, we do things kind of slow. I yeah, admit the book that. is the book is beautiful. I mean, Thank it's you. really, um, you know, the first book was I don't know eight pounds maybe seven seven pounds, um, not that different from Seasons. The Kendall Jackson. Have you seen their new book, Seasons? No. Beautiful, similar look and right. style to your right. book. Different though, um, and it's interesting to have that book that weighs seven pounds. You know, and I even mentioned it um, on that show. It's like people don't have room in their luggage. Right. You know, and it becomes this huge masterpiece. But, yeah, this, but, they can take. Yeah, they can luggage. take, they can work. You know, you can cook out of, you probably won't mind as much if you got a stain on it. Like if you got a stain on the other book, you would, right. kind of, I would be bummed. No. I mean, John's book's on my living room table with the Oh, it's not in the book. kitchen? No, I don't cook for my books. I just, they're, they're like my, my exactly. I don't know. It's a like, lifestyle. Yeah, it's, a it's just, I love book. them. Yeah. And, but this is, this is great. So, so how, this was, uh, so this took up a lot of my time. The last, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, writing books is, it's very uh, labor intensive. And, uh, but we should say that you did go to Greenbrier. Yes. You did um, Antonio Allegra. Right. And you were there and, and really did workshops and really good learning. I mean, you got a lot of skills. Oh, I did. I learned some of the mechanics of writing. And I did learn the rudimentary skill of 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 putting together a sentence and I can do it and it sounds sounds pretty good. I need an editor still for all that. Well, I have an editor, believe me, Jill Hunting does all yeah. the editing and she's the best. Oh, so. I love I haven't seen her in forever. So I'm going to see her tomorrow. Oh, please send my regards. Will, yeah. Oh my goodness. So oh, that was um, like a name out of the past for me. Yeah, no, Jill's wow. Jill's great. I couldn't I couldn't write without an editor. I don't I'm not yeah. that good, and uh, but I had to work at it. So it's it's a, it's a skill like any other skill. You can learn it if you really want it. And I I had a desire to write, and I can't say where that came from, but it it started growing, and I wanted to write a cookbook. And now you have two. True. Yeah, it's exciting. And, uh, Hopefully there'll be another one. We'll see. Okay. What would the ideas. next? Okay, you don't want to say that. Oh, you sure? Uh, oh, my you let's see. My like my passion project for a book has always been a breakfast book. So nice. And I might do that, and we'll see. Nice. Well, well see. certainly Rizzoli is a nice uh, publisher to have. <laughs> oh, I talked to them when I was there in New York. I uh, had lunch. They took me out mm -hmm. to Gramercy Tavern. Oh, fabulous. Nice. Fabulous. You know, having a Friday afternoon lunch with cocktails and wine. Yeah, and with publishers. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty. It was it's sort of those. It's so the, New York. It's so New York. And you think about writing, it's most of the time by yourself. And to have 
at the end of it you get taken to a fancy restaurant by the publisher and the publicist it's kind of fun and you should enjoy those kind of moments too. absolutely because you at that point you earned it remember I something felt the same new. way they took me uh, simon and schuster took uh-huh. me to la conda verde uh-huh. and another amazing restaurant and it was like pinch yourself yes. you know like this and that was going to be the only time that ever happened to right me. yeah it was it, fun it was seriously because the next time i was like i'm doing this myself yeah and then there is no next time now are you sure i'm positive my um, how about a children's book no, I have nothing no. to say to kids. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your mashed potatoes. Exactly. Uh. I um, no, you know, I was working on a third book, and John, my John, our John, um, just it's like it's too much work. I don't have time. I don't have the bandwidth for it, and right. I can't give you the time. And you know, who am I to fight with the person who manages the company and? keeps the money in the bank and things you know not gonna force him to do a book and take his eye off the you know the prize so that's how the newspaper came um which is fun this issue is all about bread so i'm gonna have to get you you gotta tell me about this newspaper Uh, i mean it's called thick chronicles now i get i get something uh through my email oh that's just our little letter that's your newsletter so this is a newspaper this is like a physical newspaper where 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 do you get them um, you can get it. I may have one here for you, uh-huh. but you can get it um, at the restaurant or at the visitors bureau or hotels. They're free, but it's a big paper, twenty-four pages, and we have guest writers and. So it actually sort of functions some of the same. Exactly. So as, there's recipes and stories. Right. That's and, great. Yeah, and it's it's just a freebie. Huh. And honestly, you know that happened for me traveling. You know, in London, like the Borough Market puts out a beautiful, it was a paper, now it's more of a magazine, kind of a slick magazine. And um, when I was in Antwerp, we went to the Jane restaurant, Sergio Herman, chef, he does a newspaper. And I'm like, wow, you know, and they're all gimmies, you know, no one's charging for them. It's it's a gift. And I'm like, I love giving. So like if I can do this and people can take it and it's like tangible and it's real. But it requires. It's it's a lot of time. This one actually was hard. This last one felt like um, I was forcing it out where the first five just kind of came like, you know, and it's the first, I think, three times and then two times, about twice a year. So I don't know. It's like, and and you got to find your ways to keep your creative energy going. And for me, you know, that was how. Right. Or it still is, I guess. And this, obviously, podcasting is really fun. Really? Yeah, Brian's usually a lot more chatty. Should I let you, like, shoot off some of your questions? I, no. I'm usually I, such a hog. Sandra, it's one of those things when you have a guest who's telling a story, you just let him go. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't sit still. I have to interrupt yeah. every five minutes. No, I do have a question, though. So most people, when they think of acorns, they sort of think of, you know, a cartoon that they saw where the squirrels are, are gathering up acorns and storing them for the winter. And that's about that's about the extent of most people's experience with acorns. Unless but you, you're Chef John McReynolds. Yeah. Tell, can you just talk a little bit about acorns? And Well, I was a Boy Scout and I was, I guess, a nerdy kid in 
high school and but I loved I loved wild crafting and I loved all of what I learned in the Boy Scouts and uh, I got interested in a very young age with uh, finding my own food so I went hunting with my dad and my granddad and my brothers so we hunted a lot we also had a fishing boat in Santa Cruz, so we'd fish for salmon, albacore, crab, rockfish. So that was always part of our, my grandfather would tell me stories, and, and I became an abalone diver. I wow. dived, scuba dived, speared fish. So it was just kind of in our family DNA to go, go find your own food and my family uh, encouraged that. So, started with, I guess, the, the going for wild mushrooms. And I learned from my wife, Brigitte, who was very good at, at, um, at mushroom identification and cooking. So I started doing some of that. And when I was in Norway, I was getting like little, little these little, um, little berries and uh, I enjoyed that and the mushrooms there were fantastic so it's always been in kind of an interest and then uh, when I moved back here I took a couple of classes on foraging just to learn more about where it. do you take classes on foraging well this one I took uh, from a guy in um, in the East Bay they're around I mean if you're um, and I subscribe to there's a uh, good foraging book out. There's a couple good really books. Yeah, there's too. this guy Hank. Um, I forget Hank's last name, but I learned a lot reading his uh, his blog posts. And uh, I have his book. I think it's called Hunter Angler mm. Forager. Mm -hmm. And then I took a uh, uh, a class from this guy that does coastal foraging, uh, but with seafood so we we learned how to go catch like monkey-faced eels and uh, <laughs> and cast oh. surf nets for uh, for fish uh, just something of interest mm -hmm. and then uh, I learned uh, uh, about the acorns I'd always my my daughter was in the Waldorf school went to the Marin Waldorf school and we went on a field trip to uh, point raised to an old Miwok village, mm. and they were, they were t the teacher was talking about the the acorns, and I go, I've, I've always that just really fascinated me. I said, I, I want to someday. I want to use acorns in my cooking, and when I started at uh, Stone Edge Farm, there was a guy there that worked uh, uh, in uh, in on the farm. He also was very interested in, in, in wild crafting and he he was doing it so I said teach me how to do it so Kevin taught me how to do it and that's what started it well then I had to figure out what am I going to do with it so yeah. I started doing the obvious sort of things uh, uh, substituting uh, what I do now which is kind of stuck with me all these years is uh, is blinis I make a, a, a blini out of acorn flour. So I use half 
regular flour, half acorn. And do you make the acorn flour? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. And it just, I, it feels like it connects me to, to this place, this land. Mm -hmm. The acorn to me is a, is a real symbol of where we live. You look around, mm -hmm. what do you see? Oak trees everywhere. Everywhere. And so to me, I, it just, it's, it's satisfying in a way mm -hmm. that I, it's hard to describe the same way when you go out and you collect your own mushrooms and you cook them and you eat them. There's something really satisfying about mm -hmm. that. See, I'm still too scared to do that. To eat mushrooms? No, well, I love mushrooms, okay. but I don't trust like uh, going out and foraging my own mushrooms and identifying correctly. There are classes where you go out and... They teach you everything. Teach I, you everything. I think I'd still be yeah. scared. Even though I believe like when it's your time, it's your time, but I don't know. So I do. I Even now, we we <laughs> like to harvest miner's lettuce and oh, work that, that into a mm -hmm. work that into a little dish. Or uh, um, purslane grows mm -hmm. everywhere. I like purslane. to pick that. So yeah. it's just it's just to me those add the little touches to my food that it's just really exactly. This is where we are. Even the grape leaves. Uh, we mm -hmm. love to cook mm -hmm. in the grape leaves, uh, the fig leaves. Mm -hmm. These are all. They're all there. Yeah. They're there and they're mostly free. So right. I just saw there was speaking of free and gleaning, like um, there is a house on my street that was sold like a year ago and they haven't done anything with it. And I think there's a huge grapefruit tree on that property or bergamot oh. or I'm like, oh my God, do you think I could go and like bang the tree? Is it in the front yard or the backyard? The backyard. Oh well, um, is, is there a security camera anywhere? Secu I don't think so. I'm gonna maybe try. I'm gonna get my next door neighbor to come with me. He he's a general in the he was a general in the army. I love uh, suburban <laughs> foraging. Yeah, it's that's cool. so much fun. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember speaking to Mark Bittman mm -hmm. when he wrote uh, that article about the the four restaurants in Sonoma. He talked about figs as being near weeds, yeah. and and it's true. There's I know so many public fig trees where if I yeah. really needed figs. So even to this day, I couldn't bear to go buy figs anywhere. Yeah. It just, it's it's really hard. It's just I couldn't do it. Yeah, and persimmons too. When I see uh, those persimmons yeah. just sitting on uh, those trees, I uh, want to go knock on doors. Right. Yeah, blackberries. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I'm trying. I mean, I, we've hit a lot of things. I know there's probably a million things we haven't talked about. Um, but I think that it's been really interesting. Like, I, I don't think I've ever heard your story, like, from when you started. And though we've known each other for over 20 years, which is hard to believe in itself. Um, I remember uh, talking to you uh, one evening at the Tuesday night market and you were talking about your idea or your plans to open which your restaurant your first restaurant oh you're kidding I remember you talking it was you were still in the you know were you doing Pilates then were we did we were you doing Pilates with not Madeline then Black? not then not then okay interesting but yeah. I remember you talking about that and yeah. I think you knew more Brigitte than me and, it's uh, possible right yeah back then yeah it's so. um 
And actually, yeah, we had Brigida did a show at the Fig Cafe. Right. Um, which yeah. was like when we would actually change the art every couple months. That was a big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's awesome. Well, it's exciting. I mean, I still say every time I see you, I haven't been up to Stonehenge um, one of these but, days. But, you know, we're, know. we're uh, you know, we, we all have there. busy lives. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I prefer to be at home in my backyard than out and about. Yeah, it's I'm just, the same now. I'm, I get a lot of my socialization happening during the day when right. at work. I have a lot of people. Right. And then it the evening yeah, it's I like quiet to go time. home yeah. yeah I I I think I get my major fill when I'm traveling uh-huh. you know I like I say I work hard and I travel hard and the rest of the time is pretty much quiet time right yeah have to recharge have to you know kind of take it back a notch drink a bottle of that Sauvignon Blanc I love Stone Edge wines we we sell a a good amount. Well, right now we're pouring the surround um, right. by I the glass, the which that current yeah. vintage is just. Right. I, I mean, it's put it in front of a hundred people, and you're going to get a hundred smiles. Right. It's, it's one of mm-hmm. those amazing wines, and their Sauvignon Blanc is just out of this world. Yeah, I agree. I love yeah. them. I yeah. love them. And it's hard, you know. I mean, even to work for a place like that, you have to really believe in the wine, in the product. Right. You know, you can't really be passionate about cooking on something that you're not that crazy about. So, it's so, really cool. so going forward, I don't know what's next, but I know this, that starting next year, I'm going to go to part-time. Okay. I want to travel more. I want to write more. Be be more the, the mentor. Be, mm-hmm. be more the... the um, well, you're lucky you're in a place where you can do that. And you right. have people that will let you do that. Right something that not everybody can afford to do but it's so wonderful no and i'm i'm willing to to do the heavy lifting when needed but i prefer not to so what is your next bucket list trip oh i've got i've got a million (laughs) well i went to um last summer we went to peru Mm. which was definitely on there i'd like to spend more time in south america uh, I would say next, I don't know about next, but up on the list is, is Africa, South Africa, mm-hmm. really um, is looming. I'd love to spend some time in, I've, although I've been to Southeast Asia a lot, I haven't been everywhere, so mm-hmm. I'd like to go go to there. This, I'd love to go to any of the stands Mm-hmm. Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. Uzbekistan. <laughs> um, I'd love to do a whole uh, trip um, of um, the Balkans. There's mm-hmm. a lot of these. Uh, I've been to Croatia and, and, and Slovenia, and I'd love to really see some of those other. Mm-hmm. I've been to Turkey. You like some of the off the beaten track. Yeah, I'd yeah, like to sure. definitely off the beaten track mm-hmm. um, so there's really no place I don't want to go yeah when you think about it I you know it's I was thinking the other day and I almost feel that way though I don't think I want to go to Australia even though I want to go to Australia I don't look forward to that trip being so so long right 
um, especially when time is always so precious. Um, and I'm not sure about India. Like, well, I've been to India, and I was would, it a hard trip? It was a hard trip, right? A little bit hard, but it's just so amazing. Really, and, I th I would have and, to go with someone that knows well, the place. I w I definitely want to go back. Like and, Deepak Chopra. And it's a huge Maybe country. Maybe he would take me with him. <laughs> it's a huge country. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. But I went to South India. Love to go to hmm. Rajasthan or somewhere up now wow. well it's fun it's fun I'm travel's very fun. travel's yeah. amazing yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think we've gotten Brian out of the country yet me yeah well I've been to been to Mallorca I have a friend who actually has a hotel oh yeah there. oh that's and, um, nice France Spain Italy um, Canada does that count and Mexico <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. I don't know why I was thinking that you, um, there's something you say. You go, I've never been there. I've never been there. But I can't remember now. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I'm know. willing to take a trip anytime. I know. Well, we got to get our pod father to, God, maybe he'll do a cruise with all of us. Well, and this is the thing. If we can somehow sell him on combining. Um, the two podcasts. Yeah. To send us who, to Southern France. Be? This is our guy in Chicago. Ed, uh, Ed the Radio, Mis right. Radio yeah. Misfits. Yeah, Southern France, yeah. I think we could. It would be really cool. He would like that. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so fun. So fun. Thank you so much for Thank giving you. us your precious time. I, I didn't really realize that I would be talking mostly about myself. Oh, well, we, I, we talk about ourselves as okay. much as we can, yeah, so yeah, like, <laughs> it's nice you know, to let the guests I, say something. Yeah, and hearing my, me tell my story, I guess yeah. there's some... Wait till you listen to it. It's going to be very interesting on the other side. Yeah, very interesting. I guess there are yeah. some good stories. Yeah, there. there's yeah. some fabulous yeah. stories. I think great adventures. And for anyone that hasn't been to this area and, and you're planning on coming, I, I recommend going to Stone Edge Farm. Um, at least to do a tasting uh, for the wines but if you can do food and wine pairing or do one of the dinners um, here on Thursday nights that would be amazing great yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to bite the bullet one just Thursday and just yeah. do it I, I are you going to be there every time no I'm no, rarely there, there. Okay. okay. I bake the bread Okay. And I sometimes if there's some guests uh, I stick around Depend yeah, to the cocktail the list, reception yeah. and I hang around and then Say I leave. Say hi. Long but, relationships. Uh, yeah. If, I, if you come, I You'll will definitely be there. stay. Okay. I'll be on okay? the list. Yeah. All right. So I, uh, one of my bed, one of my best bread experiences was last year in Mentone at uh, Michelin star Mirazor. Um, and I don't go to that many Michelin star restaurants, but it was like the one Michelin star on the trip. And they served this bread, which they called friendship bread. And it was in this exquisite hand turned wood, like olive wood bowl, like gorgeous. And the bread pulled apart. It was round and it set in this deep bowl that was just gorgeous. And the butter and the olive oil. And then they brought you a translucent piece of paper, you know, that really like high-end wedding invitation paper almost with a Pablo Neruda 
poem about bread. It was wow. such a beautiful experience. It was like my favorite course, and they wow. just baked the bread. Right. But it was just right. like they wanted you to feel the wood right. and sharing and history and philosophy, and it was great. Beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. bread is one of those things. Yeah. 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 That's why I feel so bad for gluten-free or celiac people yeah. because I'm, ugh, I couldn't I do it. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Though I am eating some of those uh, gluten-free cauliflower crusts, which happen to be really good. Surprised. Yeah. yeah, I've got one in my freezer, but I haven't put it to use yet. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. Um, how, where do people look at a website or um, make reservations? Stoneedgefarm.com. Okay. And if they want to book a table at Edge, Larry at StoneEdgeFarm.com. Oh, you email the reservation in. Well, that's one way to get a hold of Larry. Okay. Uh, for a request um, mm -hmm. or for a tasting. Uh, um, also, Larry StoneEdgeFarm.com. Okay. We do a, a food food and wine pairing. Oh, nice. And, uh, so, awesome. and if you're a local and listening to this, I know, I only know of one spot to get the wine that is not the winery, um, and it's my friend Todd Jolly over at Sonoma's Best. He uh, carries the Cabernet. Every right. Now also and then. a sponsor um, of the Winemakers Podcast. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> kind of emotional support, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, I th Todd. You know, th there might be another one retail establishment that we. But Sonoma's Best has been the only one in town for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And I think you and um, Cafe La Haye are the only two restaurants that are pouring our wine. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, very, it's very exclusive. So I was surprised when I happened upon it at Sonoma's Best that day. How did he do that? But Todd's a good guy. I'm sure he's, he's yeah. a very good steward of uh, the local brands here. Um, yeah, and Moon Mountain is one of the favorite new regions around here, the, the new AVAs, and the cab coming out of here is world class. I mean, it, it rivals Bordeaux, and I think that's the goal there at, at the winery and, and with Jeff Baker and Phil Caturi, and they're really... Definitely the, the goal. Yeah. It's just Napa's got the name. Yep. But yeah, but we got the soul. We got the soul. We have also, we've got, I think weather that's better suited to growing Cabernet Sauvignon. Yep. It's too hot over there. Too bloody hot. <laughs> I know it. Yeah. 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 Do yourself a favor, get some Stone Edge wine and yeah. um, come eat some of the food. Sandra, I, I was talking to my wife last night. I said, Sandra and I, of course she wants to go, oh, but right. I said, Sandra and I are going to go to, we're going to have to go to one of these dinners yeah. at Edge. Okay. So she said, well, let me know if okay, I can well, come Okay, we'll too. go Dutch. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chef, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It was, it was delightful. Lovely. So, thank you. All right. You thank can you. Um, check us out on Instagram. We'll post some photos from today. At, uh, um, go to thebikegoeson.com. Download uh, past episodes for us and uh, hit us up at hashtag bike talk. You can also find us on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we will look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks. Mm -hmm.